Section 3 of The Hunting of the Snark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Sean Craig Smith. The Hunting of the Snark by Lewis Carroll. Section 3. Fit the Fifth. The Beaver's Lesson. They sought it with thimbles. They sought it with care. They pursued it with forks and hope. They threatened its life with a railway share. They charmed it with smiles and soap. Then the butcher contrived an ingenious plan for making a separate sally, and had fixed on a spot unfrequented by man, a dismal and desolate valley. But the very same plan to the beaver occurred. It had chosen the very same place. Yet neither betrayed, by a sign or a word, the disgust that appeared in his face. Each thought he was thinking of nothing but snark, and the glorious work of the day. And each tried to pretend that he did not remark that the other was going that way. But the valley grew narrow, and narrower still, and the evening got darker and colder, till, merely from nervousness, not from goodwill, they marched along shoulder to shoulder. Then a scream, shrill and high, rent the shuddering sky, and they knew that some danger was near. The beaver turned pale to the tip of its tail, and even the butcher felt queer. He thought of his childhood, left far, far behind, that blissful and innocent state. The sound so exactly recalled to his mind a pencil that squeaks on a slate. "'Tis the voice of the Jub-Jub!' he suddenly cried, this man that they used to call Dunce. "'As the bellman would tell you,' he added with pride, I have uttered that sentiment once. Tis the note of the Jub-Jub. Keep count, I entreat. You will find I have told it you twice. Tis the song of the Jub-Jub. The proof is complete. If only I've stated it thrice. The beaver had counted with scrupulous care, attending to every word. But it fairly lost heart, and outgrabe in despair... When the third repetition occurred, it felt that, in spite of all possible pains, it had somehow contrived to lose count, and the only thing now was to rack its poor brains by reckoning up the amount. Two added to one, if that could not be done, it said, with one's fingers and thumbs. Recollecting with tears how, in earlier years, it had taken no pains with its sums. "'The thing can be done,' said the butcher. "'I think. The thing must be done, I am sure. The thing shall be done. Bring me paper and ink. The best there is time to procure.' The beaver brought paper, portfolio, pens, and ink in unfailing supplies, while strange, creepy creatures came out of their dens and watched them with wondering eyes.
So engrossed was the butcher, he heeded them not, as he wrote with a pen in each hand, and explained all the while, in a popular style, which the beaver could well understand. Taking three as the subject to reason about, a convenient number to state, we add seven and ten, and then multiply out by one thousand, diminished by eight. The result we proceed to divide, as you see, by nine hundred and ninety and two. Then subtract seventeen, and the answer must be exactly and perfectly true. The method employed I would gladly explain, while I have it so clear in my head, if I had but the time and you had but the brain. But much yet remains to be said. In one moment I've seen what has hitherto been, enveloped in absolute mystery, and without extra charge I will give you at large a lesson in natural history. In his genial way he proceeded to say, forgetting all laws of propriety, and that giving instruction without introduction would have caused quite a thrill in society. As to temper the jub-jub's a desperate bird, since it lives in perpetual passion, its taste in costume is entirely absurd. It is ages ahead of the fashion. But it knows any friend it has met once before. It never will look at a bribe. And in charity meetings it stands at the door and collects, though it does not subscribe. Its flavor when cooked is more exquisite far than mutton or oysters or eggs. Some think it keeps best in an ivory jar and some in mahogany kegs. You boil it in sawdust, you salt it in glue, you condense it with locusts and tape, still keeping one's principal object in view to preserve its symmetrical shape. The butcher would gladly have talked till next day, but he felt that the lesson must end, and he wept with delight in attempting to say he considered the beaver his friend, while the beaver confessed with affectionate looks more eloquent even than tears. It had learnt in ten minutes far more than all books would have taught it in seventy years. They returned hand in hand, and the bellman, unmanned for the moment, with noble emotion, said, This amply repays all the wearisome days we have spent on the billowy ocean. Such friends as the beaver and butcher became, have seldom, if ever, been known. In winter or summer, t'was always the same. You could never meet either alone. And when quarrels arose, as one frequently finds quarrels will, spite of every endeavor, the song of the jub-jub recurred to their minds, and cemented their friendship forever. the sixth the barrister's dream they sought it with thimbles they sought it with care they pursued it with forks and hope they threatened its life with a railway share they charmed it with smiles and soap but the barrister weary of proving in vain that the beaver's lace-making was wrong fell asleep and in dreams saw the creature quite plain, 
that his fancy had dwelt on so long. He dreamed that he stood in a shadowy court, where the snark, with a glass in its eye, dressed in gown, bands, and wig, was defending a pig on the charge of deserting its sty. The witnesses proved, without error or flaw, that the sty was deserted when found, and the judge kept explaining the state of the law in a soft undercurrent of sound. The indictment had never been clearly expressed, and it seemed that the snark had begun and had spoken three hours before anyone guessed what the pig was supposed to have done. The jury had each formed a different view, long before the indictment was read, and they all spoke at once so that none of them knew one word that the others had said. You must know, said the judge, but the snark exclaimed, Fudge! That statute is obsolete, quite. Let me tell you, my friends, the whole question depends on an ancient manorial right. In the matter of treason, the pig would appear to have aided, but scarcely abetted. While the charge of insolvency fails, it is clear, if you grant the plea, never indebted. The fact of desertion I will not dispute. But its guilt, as I trust, is removed, so far as relates to the course of this suit, by the alibi which has been proved. My poor client's fate now depends on your votes. Here the speaker sat down in his place, and directed the judge to refer to his notes, and briefly to sum up the case. But the judge said he never had summed up before. So the snark undertook it instead, and summed it so well that it came to far more than the witnesses ever had said. When the verdict was called for, the jury declined, as the word was so puzzling to spell. But they ventured to hope that the snark wouldn't mind undertaking that duty as well. So the snark found the verdict, although, as it owned, it was spent with the toils of the day. When it said the word, Guilty, the jury all groaned, and some of them fainted away. Then the snark pronounced sentence, the judge being quite too nervous to utter a word. When it rose to its feet, there was silence like night, and the fall of a pin might be heard. Transportation for life, was the sentence it gave. And then, to be fined forty pound. The jury all cheered, though the judge said he feared that the phrase was not legally sound. But their wild exultation was suddenly checked, when the jailer informed them with tears. Such a sentence would not have the slightest effect, as the pig had been dead for some years. The judge left the court looking deeply disgusted, but the snark, though a little aghast, as the lawyer to whom the defense was entrusted went bellowing on to the last. Thus the barrister dreamed, while the bellowing seemed to grow every moment more clear, till he woke to the knell of a furious bell, which the bellman rang close at his ear. End of section 3. Recording by Sean Craig Smith.